Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Daily, the first ever daily edition of the show as part of this general election series. My guest today is Brandon Lewis, the former chairman of the Conservative Party and Minister of State for Security. Now, immediately on episode one, the perils of doing a daily podcast have already struck because the moment Brandon left the studio, the Brexit Party announced that they will not stand in Tory seats. And what was the first thing we talked about? whether he was worried about a Brexit party surge in his seat of Great Yarmouth. So there you go. That's the nature of these things, I'm afraid. But nevertheless, the insight is still there. Uh, And Brandon uh, was a great guest, talks about not just his own local seat of Great Yarmouth and the the, the, the politics of that, someone who voted Remain representing a seat that is very, very strongly leave, uh, but about the Conservative Party mes- messaging in this general election. We talk about uh, the, the report into the threats to UK democracy, why it hasn't been published before the election. We talk about conservative claims about Labour's spending plans and all sorts of other things in between, including some brilliant tips for campaigning, not just in terms of messaging, but in terms of your health and well-being. Uh, So, as promised, here's a discussion with Brandon Lewis, which begins with, arguably, um, a partially futile discussion about um, the Brexit Party threat in his seat of Great Yarmouth. So with with Great Yarmouth, it's it's quite a leave area. Oh, fifth highest in the country, I think. That's right. Yeah, not quite leave doesn't do justice. It was seventy two and a half percent. So when I talk to colleagues of uh, and, and people who experience leave constituencies, I sort of say, when you come and do seventy percent plus, then uh, then you know what leave feels like. Um, and you voted Remain. I did, yeah. And how has that gone down locally? Has that been a problem? No, it's not actually. And as I say, I think since then my majority has gone up. But I think because I I was very clear, I was quite a pragmatic Remainer. I voted Remain for a couple of reasons. One was uh, the energy industry based in Great Yarmouth. I felt it was important for them, and so did those businesses. Um, I was the housing minister at the time. The entire housing industry was Remain, but that was predominantly around stability. And I was always concerned that leaving would tie government up for a very long time when we could be focused on domestic issues. Uh, But I have to say, I mean, if there was another referendum now, I've said this openly before, I would vote leave now for a couple of reasons. Again, one is I'd respect that referendum in 16. I'm I'm passionate about democracy. And I think my residents have always accepted the fact that I may have been on the wrong side of the argument from their point of view in 16, 
But I have respected that referendum result and I passionately believe we must deliver um, on leaving the EU. And also, actually, because since then, I've, I, I sat on the Justice and Home Affairs Committee. Uh, Theresa May put me in the Home Office and I sat there for um, on the European Council. And seeing how the Commission work, I have to say I've become more and more of the view that anything that gets us away from the Commission and the bureaucracy and the way they work is probably a good thing for our country. Is there part of you that thinks, oh, I wish I was in a seat that was 70% Remain and then I could... I could stay as a Remainer. I wouldn't have to worry no. about the Brexit party. Well, no, because I have to say, like anything, your, your, your views change as you see more in life. And I think mm. as politicians, we need to admit that a bit more often. And visits I've done to places like India and Pakistan, I've seen more about the opportunities globally that are there. As I say, my view of the of Europe and the Commission particularly has become very, very jaded. I think, it's a, I think the Commission has got a lot of questions to answer, and I think leaving that is a good thing. But also, I love my constituency. It's a fantastic place. There's so much to do. The people are brilliant. It's a beautiful place between the broads and the uh, and the seafront itself so I'm very lucky to be able to represent somewhere like Great Yarmouth um, but of course I was in Nottinghamshire myself in 2001 I was a candidate for Sherwood so, uh, you know so I've seen both sides I used to work for Paddy Tipping <laughs> ah yes well I fought Paddy I halved his majority and paved the way for the great Mark Spencer is my argument <laughs> I mean that must have been a tough first uh, election to fight it was a great experience I mean yeah I mean look Paddy had a 19 odd thousand majority back then I got him down to 9,000 I met Mark Spencer Mark got involved uh, in our campaign back then um, and, and again it's a great area in fact I'm, he- I'm heading back up there myself uh, later on today after this podcast so uh, it's a great part of the world uh, I really enjoyed it it was a good experience of course I've uh, dealt with Paddy again since when I was the policing minister back in 2016 and he was the uh, police and crime commissioner so uh, our paths have crossed since and, and are things civil between the pair of you? yeah always were actually <laughs> I, think, I think it's one of the things oh, look, you'll know this man I think people often don't realise is those in politics yeah. we might dis- my view's always been that we disagree on how to get things done ultimately we we generally share a common view which is we want to make things better it's just how to do it we tend to disagree on so generally i think politicians get on better than many would think we do yes that's definitely true i mean have you ever had an opponent and maybe there's one standing in this election in great yarmouth that has particularly annoyed you or the way they've gone about attacking you maybe no i mean uh, the, i mean I, I i suspect the opponent i've got in great yarmouth this time is the same one i had in 2017 and I disagree with the way he does things, but you know he's he's got to fight his campaign his way. I'll fight mine my way, and uh, I, I just try and get on with people and uh, do things in a positive way. And what rules have you learned about campaigning? I, I do. I have a couple of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I mean, tempting as it is to give away all the secrets. Actually, winning an election is about hard work. It's not actually yes. rocket science, but it is hard work. One of the key things for me has always been, and actually, when I was chairman of the party, I had this view as well is actually voting is a positive action. Somebody chooses to leave their home, go to a ballot box, pick up a pen or pencil and tick a box. That's a positive motion. So we have to give you a positive reason to do it. So if people look at my literature, actually when I was a councillor, council group leader, council leader and as an MP and a candidate, I've always tried to make sure all, if not by far, about 90% to 100% of all my literature and all my campaigning is positive things about what I and my party want to do for that area. And in a hustings... um do you have any kind of techniques? I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for all of your secrets, but do you think you carry that into sort of a debate as well? You're like, well, I'm going to choose to be positive about, say, the area, uh, and that's going to be my kind of tactic. Or yeah, I, I, for me, it's always about focusing on what you are going to do. I, I don't believe that people should vote for me because of what I've done. It's about what we want to do next, what we've got to finish. Um, but actually, I always think the key thing is actually quite unusual for a politician. I try and answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the, the reason I ask is I remember, and it was, I learned so much from Paddy Tipping. Uh, 
I, some listeners of the podcast will know who he is, but said he was the MP for Sherwood. He was then he was Minister for the Millennium Bug, uh, which was hilarious because he didn't know how to send an email. Um, <laughs> he was a total technophobe, um, and now he is the Police and Crime Commissioner for Nottingham. But I remember watching him in a, in a local hustings, and I think that day the front page of the Hucknall Dispatch, which was one of the local rags, yeah, I remember it. said that you know, warning: living in Hucknall can seriously damage your health, your wealth, and your happiness. And all the candidates said, you know, this is a disgrace. You know, these local yobs and everything, and the schools aren't good enough. And Paddy, um, and, and you know him, so you'll be you'll be able to assess whether this is a good enough impression of him or not. But he said, you know what? I'm sick of people talking this area down. You know, I'm proud to have a, an office in Hook. I think it's a bloody good place. And it was just everyone else had kind of got good applause, but that raised the roof and going basically going high instead of accepting the headline. Yeah. Saying actually, I like it here. Why do people keep sucking it off? Rallied people in a way that was, and yeah. I really learned and that as a lesson in that moment. Yeah, and he and he was and he's right too. I mean, we we had a great conservative club in Hucknall actually. And I, rem- I remember doing a hustings with Paddy in Hucknall as well actually. <laughs> but um, it's the same in my constituency. One of the things that baffles me is uh, my opponents, but even back in 2010, but certainly the candidate Labour had in 15, 17, and again the candidate they'll have this time, seem to want to spend their entire time complaining about what is a fantastic constituency. You know, they complain about it and forget they're complaining about the very people they then want to vote for them. I did have a candidate in 2015 against me who uh, put a picture on Twitter of the marina. and uh, A friend of theirs put a picture of a marina on Twitter and said, I'm in Yarmouth. And the uh, Labour candidate in 15 replied to them to say, oh, brilliant, look, I can see you here. Grab an ice cream and come and help me. And one of my volunteers had to tweet back at them and point out that was Yarmouth on the Isle of Wight and you really should get to know your constituency <laughs> better. Um, but the candidate I've got this time, again, he just spends his time complaining about the area and forgetting. And I, my view is, look, I'm not saying everything's perfect. There is always more work to do. I want to see more and more people taking the benefit of the great opportunities of jobs in the energy industry as well as tourism and the health industry. But we've got the Norfolk Broads. We've got a fabulous seafront. We've got a tourism industry that's flying. Our energy industry, renewable energy particularly, is taking off like billio. We've got new roads coming. There are great opportunities. We are very lucky to live in, and I'm very lucky to represent, a fabulous area. And I don't get why people don't want to, to spend more time talking up the area where they live and work. But I suppose, that is that the difference between the incumbent and the challenger? That the incumbent says, well, things are good. You know, you, you, when you attack me, you attack the area. And the challenger has to say, well, things need to change. You know, and- Well, maybe. But I think even if I think back to my 2010 literature, actually, I mean, the, the Labour literature back then was entirely, why would you vote for this guy who's from London? Completely ignoring the fact my dad had a quite a big business in the constituency in the 80s but I was up against Tony White who was born oh, there yeah. school there worked there councillor there so they're in literally everything was he's not from around here oddly they did the same in 15 and 17 despite having candidates who are no, not from Yarmouth but anyway um and even in 10 my view was and my I think if I look back to my literature it was about look there's some really good opportunities here you know, there, there, there were things that were happening and you could see there were opportunities, particularly, as I say, for the energy industry. The difference now is we're able to capitalise on them. They're coming to fruition. And that's a really exciting place to be for that reason. The best canvas um, I ever heard was uh, the eve, Tuesday before polling day, back in, and this was 2015. And I was in a pretty safe labour area in Great Yarmouth. And uh, we were just sort of doing the knocking up, remember to vote in a couple of days' time. And a lovely old boy came to the door and said to me, oh, you're... Um, Actually, I put a leaflet through his door, and as I walked away, he came out and said, oh, you're Brandon Lewis, aren't you? So I said, yeah, 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 that's me. He said, oh, he said, look, I just want to say I had that the Labour lot round this morning, and he described a Labour councillor who knocked on his door, a lady. He said, uh, 
she doesn't like you. <laughs> so I said, well, no, I'm not surprised because obviously I won the seat from them and, you know, I'm, yeah, that's fair enough. I said, but, and I was just interested. She knocked on his door and clearly didn't know he was a Tory because she hadn't obviously got the data. But he said, um, he said, well, I said to her, like, sorry, love, I vote Tory. He said, she went off on one. How can you vote for him? He's always in London. He wasn't born round here. He's not from here. He's useless. And this guy said, I said to her, he said, the first two are definitely wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'd argue all of it. But anyway, he said, um, he said, I said to her, well, I'm sorry. I actually think he's doing a good job. He's done this, this and this. And even if he was useless, I still vote for him because he's a Tory and I'm a Tory. He said, and with that, she went, at, he said, she lost it. He said, she started saying, how can you vote for a murderer? He's a murderer. You really want to vote? For-? He said, now that got my attention. Wow. He said, so I said to her, well, I'm sorry. He said, but I've not read about that. And I think I would have read it. What do you mean? He said, she, well, he wants to bring back fox hunting. He wants to murder precious little fox. Do you want the sort of man who's going to murder foxes? He said, and I said, as a retired gamekeeper, yes, I bloody do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she picked the wrong guy on every he, yeah. issue. He said, at that point, I decided to shut the door because he, th- he said, I think she was really going to lose it with me. Wow. So, uh, oh, so man. always be careful how you canvass. In terms of this election, then, the received wisdom has been that maybe for the last three elections, Labour have had a better ground war, i.e. knocking on doors, canvassing, direct contact with this you know, huge membership that apparently has swelled again since the election was called. Do you think this election will be won and lost on the streets and on the doors, or can the Conservative air war, targeted Facebook advertisers and, and things like that circumnavigate the kind of the deficit that you have in terms of activists? Uh, well, I, think, I don't think you... I don't, there's no silver bullet in any um, general election. I think it's a mixture of all of those things. The air war, the ground war. Like, I, I, th- I would argue our ground war's in better shape. I'm entirely biased on that, um, partly from a party political point of view, and partly because when I was chairman, we grew the membership by a record amount. Uh, we got uh, we rebuilt the entire professional campaigning force. We got campaign managed professional campaign managers across the country now. I'm really proud of that work. I mean, it culminated actually in the leadership campaign. That last event we had at the Exit with over I think something like five thousand people reportedly there. It's probably the biggest gathering of conservatives we've seen in a generation. And I think that really excited people about actually coming being a conservative, having fun, and being at an event and conference this year. I think carried that forward as well. So what I've seen over the last year or two, and social media has helped with this, is our volunteers, our members out there working has got bit better and better and bigger and bigger. And I think where social media has helped with this, I started something back in January last year where at the weekend I'd spend a bit of time Saturday night and Sunday night, uh, generally trying to do it while I was on a, uh, an exercise bike, because something to take my mind <laughs> off the pain of the bike. Um, I'd collate some pictures from what I'd done during the day and what I could see activists doing around the country and do a bit of a collage on Instagram or Twitter and what I found from that was it, it reminds people that even if there's only two or three of you out on a given cold January and Saturday actually you're not alone there's hundreds of groups of people doing this around the country yes. and you suddenly saw over a very short period of time others starting to share their images more um, more and more people coming together because they realise actually this is quite a big family and it's why I've always the Conservative Party to me is a family uh, whether it's the professional the volunteer or the elective side of it we're one family and we're at our best when we work together the modern family, obviously, highly dysfunctional uh, in Britain. So, uh, is, is the is the Conservative Party a a, a family with a, 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 a sort of solid mother and father, or a, a mum and dad uh, falling out? I mean, what to extend the analogy? Are, are the children rebelling against the parents? You know, is Boris Johnson a a good dad? 
I, I look. I think Boris has absolutely infused the party. I yeah. mean, you can't. I mean, he always did as a even when he when he was mayor of London. Certainly, then as an MP, as a cabinet minister, and as PM, you you only got to come to conference or see, as I say, the five thousand odd people at the Excel. He infuses the party, and I think the reason he does that is the same reason he's. Um, very playing very positively with the British public is he is optimistic. He's enthusiastic. He's he wants to see things in a, in a positive way and see the country succeed. Uh, you were party chair, as you say, during the uh, Conservative leadership contest. Did you have to be um, sort of silent about who you preferred? Yeah, I had to be as as chairman. Anybody who's involved with CCHQ and as chairman, um, I had to remain neutral. So I moved into being a, a logistics organizer, and uh, I now am uh, pretty expert. If you want to do short notice weddings or um, <laughs> any other kind of uh, family party and event, I know pretty much every venue in the country and uh, organising them at short notice as well. Yeah, but did any of the candidates? try and canvas you despite that actually all the candidates uh were really good in terms of respecting and understanding that i had to be neutral wanting to engage and have a conversation with me around look no you have to be neutral but this is what i stand for and yeah. just want to fill you in i've got to say they were all um, an absolute pleasure to deal with from the in the job that i had and in terms of the sound bites and the slogans and things get brexit done seems to be the big one um do you like that as a slogan? Well, it, it's a matter of fact. and I think it works as a statement. You've got to get it done. And I think you'll notice as well, we want to unleash the potential of the country. And I think that reflects the enthusiasm. And where I think, look, I've, you know, I appreciate I'm entirely biased in this, but I think the Prime Minister is, has got it absolutely right. Let's unleash the potential of the country and talk about it in that phraseology because this is about the opportunities that are there. As we leave the European Union, getting a good trade deal with them and being able to trade globally opens up huge opportunities for us as a country. And because of what we've done with the economy, we can invest in our public services as well. So a good positive story. And in terms of how the campaigns run, uh, is it just Dominic Cummings deciding everything or is there a committee? Are there calls that you have influence on or what's the kind of structure uh, there, there, of the campaign? There's a, there's a team. I mean, the manifesto is put together by a team and all of us in the cabinet feed into the manifesto um, and have been feeding into the manifesto and we'll see that before it goes public. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a real team thing and, and and actually after 2017 one of the lessons learned was um, 2017 many lessons to learn and the Lord Pickles did a fabulous a really really good piece of work which is public around uh, quite a lot of lessons to learn uh, one of those was around how we structure campaigns how we structure the manifesto and that's been taken on board and I think to the benefit of the positive campaign that we're seeing Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com and in terms of the way the conservatives campaign in this election obviously last time it was a kind of it was um, superficially a presidential campaign around Theresa May, but then she didn't really campaign like a president and do TV debates and things. So there's that sort of incongruous nature of it. This time, Boris is going to do the TV debates and it feels like he is going to be more of a muscular campaigner perhaps than Theresa May. In terms of the tactics and things, is it fair to say that 
it feels a bit like the Vote Leave campaign in the sense that, um, for instance, instead of putting £350 million on the side of a bus, there's the claim that Labour spending plans are over a trillion pounds and actually that figure, you kind of know it's not entirely true and therefore it keeps the debate about whether that figure is just under or just over a trillion and uh, that's a way to sort of campaign these days. No, look, I think the campaign is about highlighting... Look, there is always an element in any election of highlighting the danger of what the opposition stand for. And I I think we can be fairly robust about the danger. I, I, I think if you look at what Labour are outlining, their economic plans would bring our country back to rack and ruin. I think they would put us in a real economic mess. Our plans are about investment in infrastructure and good, steady economic management. I think if you look at what Labour stand for, and I'm going to be very frank about this, if you look at what Jeremy Corbyn has stood for in the past and some of the people around in terms of national security in my current role, it fills me with utter dread. And I think we've got a duty of care as a party to ensure that they never get near Downing Street with some of the uh, things, they've, what they've stood for against our national interest in the past. And there's a real issue there. But predominantly, our election is going to be, as it has been and will continue to be, about what we as a party want to do for our country. And we are led by somebody who has got a phenomenal ability and uh, uh, capacity to campaign. I mean, I, I went and helped Boris and campaign for him when he was, when I was a councillor and he was uh, running for Mayor of London. And his ability to just get around and love being on the campaign trail is quite formidable. So I think we've got we've got a good package. You mentioned uh, some of the candidate, candidates you got. I can't remember a start to an election campaign where so many Conservative and Labour candidates have had to step down in week one because of comments they've made. Uh, Nick Conrad in Norfolk had to stand down because of comments he made about rape on a radio show a few years ago. I mean, as a former Conservative Party chair, do you despair at some of these selections? I think the reality is we're now living in a world, um, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, where anything anybody's ever done is going to come back. And I think actually it's it's an important lesson for anybody young today thinking about getting into politics is just remember with social media, everything is there forever. Everything is there now. And I think that it also is a reminder that we've, we've got to be very careful and clear about um, what we stand for. And that's why I think it's important that we focus on positive campaigns about what we want to do for places rather than getting too caught up in some of the negative stuff we see. And I think, you know, we're in anti-bullying week, as I'm talking to you today. So I feel quite passionately about from my own personal experience. And I think you can debate, you can debate strongly, you should debate robustly, but always with, always with respect. You say from your own personal experience, what, as a victim of bullying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. what, at school? Yeah, yeah, I was badly bullied at school. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was bullied at school, um, mainly at primary school. And I, I mean, I, I'd never... Part of me doesn't want to give bullies credit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, part yeah. of me thinks, I wonder if I would be as robust as I am now without that. You know, I, yeah, I suppose yeah. that's trying to be philosophical about it. But did it have a profound effect on you? Um, I, I didn't think I didn't. I probably wasn't conscious of it at the time, but with retrospect, yeah. And I, one of my children suffered bad bullying recently as well, which brings it back into oh, um, real key focus. But when I was, um, and, and you sort of learn actually, it's not so much bullying. Sadly, happens. It's how somewhere then deals with it that yes. actually matters. And we had a really bad experience. The place my daughter was at just didn't want to deal with it. Didn't deal with it. But when I was at school, it was one of those things that wasn't quite so well recognised. And I was brilliant. I think with retrospect, what it did for me was probably, yes, make, makes you more robust. But actually, um, somebody said to me, made a point to me once, that only you control how you feel. Mm. And actually, that's true. And there is an element of making sure, and it, it led me to a point where I, I try and make sure I can go to bed at night being com- comfortable with myself that what I've done that day is right. And if somebody else wants to 
um, bully or or behaving in a, in a way online or as you see it nowadays tends to be online um, ro- very robustly should we say <laughs> against that or abusively against it well that probably says more about them hopefully than it does about us you've got to do what you think is right you make the best decision you can and, and one of the things I think you have to learn in politics is your job is to make a decision you want all the information you can to make the best decision but you've got to get on and make it um, and make it for the right reasons and um, and let others um, have their own views yes I, uh, I was just going to ask on, on the on the, this, this Sajid Javid document about Labour's trillion plus borrowing thing what I thought I mean you know you've included things in there that may not be in the Labour manifesto like abolishing private schools um, which has cost us 35 billion quid so well Jeremy Corbyn has said he wants to effectively do that but he but said he so. won't put it in his manifesto so it kind of well, I know he said it's something he wants to do. So. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you've included everything that could conceivably be included. Um, well, we're, we're only we're only including things that Labour Party said they want to do. You saying that they would fib about what they want to do? <laughs> That's not for me to comment. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Well, it is actually. But I, I suppose my question was going to be: Wouldn't it have been more effective to wait for Labour to publish their manifesto and then very quickly put out this? document where you could include everything that was in there but it cost everything they could conceivably do quickly research the new ones and then put out something that was just slightly more robust well we've got to base our information on what we know at the moment it could be that when labor published the manifesto we it suddenly becomes one and a half two three trillion who knows we'll, we'll have to wait and see but uh, what we've seen from the past and is consistently true is that this current particularly this current labor leadership do not really give any thought to where money comes from or the impact that that has on the wider economy and the long-term stability of the UK economy. And that affects jobs. Um, and getting, having the, eco- the economy properly run means that we can invest in infrastructure, which means we can invest and continue to see job growth. And that's really important for people. As well as Brexit, what, what are going to be the main policy themes for the Conservatives in this election? Well, the fact that we can run a good, strong economy. <clears throat> Unfortunately, today, we've just seen um, growth is actually... Uh, is back. We, you know that that's a good thing, and the stability in our economy means we can invest in the NHS. Um, Matt Hancock and Boris as PM have both been very clear. They want to continue to invest in the NHS, have the best health service we can possibly provide. Uh, we want to continue investing in education to get that balancing around the country. So wherever you're from, whether it's a rural community or a deprived community, investing in education, giving that freedom for schools to really give the best to people. And we do want to invest in law and order. We want to have more police officers. And crime is changing. It's one of the things you know. I see consistently in my current job, one of the reasons we're doing a bit of review of serious and organised crime and how we fight it, not the strategy, but the, the structure behind it, is because crime is changing. The, the, the continued change of technology and the internet, whether it's fraud, and I want to make sure that anybody who suffers from any kind of organised crime, whether it's fraud, whether it's drugs, whether it's the dreadful child sexual abuse cases we see, um, knows that in this country we will hunt you down and we will bring you to justice. Uh, security is obviously a big part of your, your life, as a, your role as a minister. Um, just in terms of this, this report on alleged Russian interference in the 2016 election, are you comfortable with the delay of that report until after the election? Oh, well, these things go through processes. First of all, I think it's probably worth being clear that's not that is not the 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 report isn't about that particular issue. Um, but the report goes through a particular process and it will carry on. It will finish that process and be published as soon as it's done. And as you know, Matt, some of these reports, which are quite long and detailed and in depth, do take some time to go through and be checked and published and responded to. And that one will be properly responded to. Because the report in the Sunday Times yesterday that uh, several Russian Tory donors uh, are going to be named in the report. 
you don't think that's had anything to do with the, the no, delay? I'm, I'm not going to comment on what's in the report as the security minister. What I would say is that uh, in the past when I was chairman and people commented on uh, on the donors of the Conservative Party, I'll be clear, every donor of the Conservative Party had, certainly as my time as chairman and now, um, are people who are properly approved. We go through due process and they're British citizens. And often the people referred to, I've seen a couple in the press over the weekend, they're British citizens. Um, did you meet any of the, the people named in the Sunday Times yesterday? Uh, I can't quite remember who was named in the Sunday Times yesterday, but I have met some of the people who generally get named, yes. Alexander Tamurka. Yeah, I know Alexander Tamurka. Yeah, as chairman of the Conservative Party, you get to know all of the donors fairly well. So what are they like? Because And I know this from Labour experience. And Alexander's actually an investment in the uh, renewable energy industry. So I know Alexander, I think he might have even donated to my campaign in the past, and he had some business interest just on the East Coast with the offshore winds. I mean, I'm always aware with these things that the way they're often written in the media is to make these figures sound shadowy and uh, that there's something else going on. And I know from my experience, having met previous Labour donors, that the way they're presented in the media is often very different to the personal (coughs) human experience I've had with them. So it's quite nice to hear, actually, that there's another side to this, that they're British citizens, they invest in renewable energy and that, you know... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Perhaps I mean, it's not a, as Alexander's dodgy example, as we might think. And Alexander's quite quite out there open. He quite right, regularly writes articles for various newspapers, from the Economist, the Telegraph, and I think possibly even the Times. He's done the op-ed of old time in the past. So uh, um, he's he's quite a prominent businessman as well. In terms of this election, then, I mean, uh, 2017 seemed to change people's perceptions of firstly the campaign making a difference. Um, with that in mind, I mean, do you think the campaign makes a difference? <clears throat> And what things are the Conservatives going to do this time that perhaps they didn't do last time? I think the, the campaigns do make a difference, absolutely. I think apart from anything else, all the parties get more coverage because there's, A, more focus on politics at the time of an election, if that's indeed possible, as we had a lot of focus on politics recently. But certainly in an election, there's more. There's more um, because of the balance rules. Obviously, there's a bit more coverage of the other parties. So everybody gets a chance to have probably more of their say, and that has an impact. Um, and obviously, you're setting out what, again, it comes back to my point, you're setting out what you want to do for the next four or five years, and people take notice of that. I think people do go to a ballot box. I don't doubt there are people who vote how they vote because that's how they always voted. But I think that's less and less now. Mm-hmm. I think more and more people think about what the vote they're casting is it going to make their life, their family and their friends' life better for today and tomorrow? Um, so I think the ideas you've got and you set out in a campaign are becoming more and more important. And look, for me as a party, and you know, I love campaigning. I've always been a bit of a campaigner, um, and I spent some time out on the road in 2017 supporting colleagues. And I, you know, I'd, so I love getting out and knocking on doors. I, I think it is important that we, we we spend our time talking about what we're going to do, and that's certainly the focus for us as a party. And in terms of uh, Jeremy Corbyn, obviously you disagree with him ideologically. There's probably not many issues that you would agree with him on. Um, what would you say his strengths are, though, just in terms of an opponent? There is a sense that he's a formidable campaigner, that he has an ability to cut through to sections of the country that perhaps other politicians don't. Well, I think, I mean, if you look over the over, over his career, from what I can see, he's somebody who spent a lot of time campaigning, a lot of those sort of town hall public meetings. So his ability to engage with an audience must be there. Um, and I think he showed some of that in 2017 um, in the way that he was engaging with the, the Labour activists. Uh, but I think fundamentally what he stands for, what he believes in, what he thinks of our country are pretty negative things. Seems to be a frustration, particularly the last election on, on, you know, by Conservatives, that some of the stuff... Some of the attack lines on Corbyn somehow didn't quite land, that the security stuff, that some of his historic relationships didn't quite land with the public, that they were sort of perceived as smears. I mean, is that 
have you learned from that this time? Because if you if you're genuinely concerned about his security, you know, implications for the country if he leads it, how do you package that message in a way? where perhaps it resonates better? Well, I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, I think if you're talking about them in that context, I think we have to sometimes remember that, I mean, I'm still in my 40s, but I, anybody of my age and below probably, well, certainly has not seen a that sort of a left-wing government, a Marxist or socialist government. You know, Jeremy Corbyn, I think, saw somewhere sort of argue that Venezuela would be better if it was more left-wing. I mean, it's just astonishing. Um, and some of the companies kept to the past, the views he's got about security. The problem is, when you talk about the IRA, for people of my age and below, actually the IRA at their prominence and the danger they that people felt here on the mainland, actually probably too young to remember, if indeed um, remember at all. So, but what he has done around Salisbury, Russia, and some of our enemies, and the favour he is, the way he's he's acted, arguably more towards them than for the UK recently. I think he has done for himself. I think for us, it's much, much more important that we are focused, as I say, and I keep coming back to this on what we want to do for the country. Look, I think people can now see what Jeremy Corbyn is and what he stands for and what he believes and what he thinks. I think he's brought that into um, relevance himself through his actions or lack of actions and support for the country recently. Uh, so I think for us, it's about being clear that we stand for not just protecting the defence of the UK, but actually want to see our economy grow, our public services improve by investing in them properly with a sound economy that allows you to do that, see jobs continue to grow and actually really have a vibrant, strong, positive United Kingdom going forward so in terms of this uh, <coughs> forthcoming campaign then uh, based on your experience of fighting all sorts of campaigns all over the country what personal tips do you have for candidates of all parties for looking after themselves during a general <laughs> election campaign well i can remember andy the, andy stewart who was an mp in Nottingham, a great man said to me in a good election you'll lose one to one and a half stone and have a good pair of shoes so <laughs> eat healthy wear comfortable shoes and on election night itself do you have a routine now? Oh, yeah. Diet Coke and peanut M&M's. <laughs> Definitely on election night. <laughs> and just finally, um, what's your prediction for the outcome of the election? Oh, no, I think that's a, a very dangerous game to play. Like, I, I, I want to see a conservative majority, a proper clear majority. My experience of the last few years, actually since 20, even 2015, where we had a very small majority, is it is, I think people can see now, it's actually very difficult for government to get things done without having a really good, strong majority to actually get legislation through Parliament. So um, I'm hopeful for, and I, I would like to see a good, strong conservative majority so that we can get on and get things done. So that's what you'd like. But as a, as, as a prediction, you, you predict the Conservatives will win. I think look, if you look at where we are at the moment and look at the, the package we've got, yeah, I think it's. I'd like to see the Conservatives win, and I and, and I think uh, I'd like to say I think that looks quite positive at the moment. But it's still a long way to go. And as my agent in my own constituency would tell me, it's too soon to call, and we've got to keep. You know, we can't take it for granted. We've got to do the work. We've got to keep going out there, talking to people about what we stand for, and actually remind people that if you want whatever politician you want to see elected and i would argue everybody should want to see a conservative elected to have a conservative government you've got to go out and vote brandon thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure pleasure. cheers well there you go brandon lewis what a brilliant first guest and so much insight into the local and the national and the things that candidates go through Uh, and of course this phrase unleash the potential may well be a a new hard-working families or strong and stable who knows whether these phrases will come back to to haunt the conservatives or whether it's one of those phrases that in a fortnight uh, people people are sick of hearing but let's see um and there you go as well to anyone campaigning in this election eat well a good pair of shoes. I mean, trainers. But you, you can't have a candidate going around in a suit and trainers, can you? 
It looked like a, it looked, you know, like Blink One Eight Two do that sort of thing where they wear a suit, but Converse trainers. You wouldn't want to see a, a minister of the crown swatting around like that. So uh, now Brandon's prediction. It, it wasn't quite a prediction. He said he thought the Conservatives would get a, a majority. Is going to go on our political party prediction chart, uh, which is. Um, basically like one of those things they do on Top Gear where they time people's laps and have a leaderboard. Every guest on the show during this series, I'm going to get them to predict what they think, whether it's going to be a hung parliament, a Labour majority, uh, a Conservative majority, a Lib Dem majority. I should ask them as well, because of Scotland, how many seats they think the SNP will get. Um, so this chart may become quite complex, but every day we're going to put it up there. So Brandon Lewis predicts a Conservative majority. He said with a healthy majority, I mean let's say, of around 20 to 30. I would infer that from what he said. Um, I hope he's not annoyed with me putting a number on it. It just makes it easier to stick it on the chart. And if he turns out being right, then, of course, he'd be very grateful that I uh, helped him with his answer. Um, sign up to the mailing list, which is on the website, mattford.com slash mailing hyphen list. Uh, there is a link to that in the show notes, just so that you can find out about advance uh, news on any uh, live performances, uh, tour dates, future guests and things like that. That'll all be on there. Uh, email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And obviously throughout this election campaign, uh, I want to, you know, trying to pick up on all the themes, on all the tricks and everything. So if there's anything you're noticing that parties or candidates are doing, if there are any stories you think I should focus on or particular aspects of the election campaign that maybe other places don't cover and that I have the freedom to do... Please do suggest them, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Please do review it on iTunes. Subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you listen to this, and just do tell people about it because it does help other people find it, particularly if you leave a review on iTunes. That really helps. So thank you for listening. Enjoy the campaign, whatever side you're on. I'll have guests from every corner of this campaign, every corner of the UK, every uh, part of it. Thank you to Brandon for being the first guest of this brave new era of... Uh, of uh, the political party going daily and by all means tweet and email your predictions to the show for what you think is going to happen and if you've got any reason why you think there's going to be for instance a Labour majority a hung parliament a Conservative majority or whatever um, maybe at the end I mean, I'm going to have to trawl through thousands of emails, so maybe this isn't the greatest of ideas but nevertheless if someone gets it right then what a thrill that would be um, I am, like Brandon during the Conservative Leadership Contest, going to stay out of this until a point where I think it's safe to make a prediction. I'm going to be a coward, basically. Um, but uh, let's see what the guests think. Thank you so much for listening to this, and I'll see you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.